0: Turn with me to Joshua. Joshua chapter one. We're going to continue the study that we began last week. Turning to Joshua chapter one. How about Jonah? How about Jonah this week? How about about Jonah? That's right. We'll save Joshua for another time. And we'll look at Jonah. Jonah chapter one. It's hard when the pastor's in the wrong book. Jonah chapter one. Starting in verse 4. I'm in the right place. That's right. Uh, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Friends, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. You know, last week we started off this short book of Jonah. And the first verses of the book, we heard the word of the Lord come to Jonah. And Jonah, what did he do in response? He sinfully turned and he ran the opposite direction that the Lord was telling him to go. But friends, sin has consequences. You know, the the problem with sin and the problem with us is that we don't always experience those consequences immediately. In fact, in the short term, sin often feels great. You know, the author of the book of Hebrews makes this point when he wrote about Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 25, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The fleeting pleasures of sin. Because in the short term, sin is pleasurable. Because otherwise, why would we do it? In the short term, Sin offers us a shortcut. It offers us a shortcut to the hard work of honesty or reconciliation or perseverance or integrity or self-control. We sin because in the short term, sin feels great. And we lie to ourselves that there aren't going to be any consequences to that sin. But the truth is, there's always consequences. There is a storm attached to every sin. There's a storm attached to every sin. You know, as I was saying in our Friday morning scripture meditation on YouTube, sin is kind of like eating McDonald's food. You know, it always tastes great going down, but afterwards you usually feel a little bit gross. Your skin gets a little oily and you're hungry again shortly. Because sin, like McDonald's, feels good in the short term, but eventually there are consequences. And I'm sorry for all of you that love McDonald's food. But friends... In the short term, sin always feels good. Compromise feels great in the short term because popularity and acceptance feel really good in the moment, but there are consequences. You're going to have to compromise more the next time to remain popular and accepted. And the loss of your integrity and the violation of your identity, that's not going to leave you unscarred. You know, pornography feels good in the short term, but there's always consequences. In the long term, it leaves you more empty and more hungry and needing more and more next time. You know, just one more drink feels good because it will help you forget your problems in the short term. But once you sober up, you've got to face the consequences. Your problems are all still there. And you've probably created more problems by that drinking. Friends, at first, we always believe that we can have our sin And not have any consequences. We always believe that we can have our sin and yet avoid the storm. Uh, I mean, do you think Jonah in this story might have been tempted to think, "Okay, yeah, I'm disobeying God, but but nobody's going to know. You know, what what they don't know won't hurt them. Or or God is gracious. You know, he he won't sweat the small stuff. He'll let this one go. Or, Or my sin only affects me. My sin only affects me. You know, no matter how it is, we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves that there's going to be no consequences to our sin. But friends, there's always a storm attached to our sin. In verse four right here, it says the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. You know, interestingly, the, the, the word hurled here is the same word that's used elsewhere in the Old Testament with regards to hurling a spear. You know, the wind at the Lord's command is His weapon. As Psalm 148, verses 7 and 8 declare, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great creatures in all deeps. Fire, hail, snow, and mist. Stormy wind fulfilling His word. Stormy wind fulfilling His word. This storm is no coincidence. It's fulfilling the Lord's purpose. The Lord hurled the storm upon the sea in response to Jonah's sin, because there is a storm attached to sin. Now, please understand me correctly. Understand correctly when we talk about this. The Bible doesn't say that every single difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you difficulty. Every sin will bring you difficulty. Difficulty. Even if there are not immediate consequences, sin has consequences. There are storms attached to sin. But you already knew that. You already knew that because generally in this life, we all know that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. We know in general in this life, you sow what you reap, or you reap what you sow, that is. We know that in general, what you do unto others others will do unto you, and that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Sin has consequences. Sin has a storm attached to it. You know, the book of Proverbs is full of this kind of explanation and this kind of wisdom. Sometimes the Lord directly punishes sin, like in Proverbs sixteen five. Everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord, be assured he will not go unrighteous. Punished. Sometimes the storm is a, a direct punishment, but sometimes sin punishes itself. Proverbs 21.7 says, The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what's just. It's their own violence that sweeps them away. Sin punishes itself. There's a storm connected to the sin sin always has a storm connected. But again, with all that being said, please understand, please understand that most often in life, the storms that come upon us might not be the direct consequence of a particular one of your sins, but simply a consequence of living in a fallen and a troubled world. You know, consider for a moment the sailors in this account. These sailors were all suffering... In the midst of a horrible storm. But we know, because we see behind the curtain, that that storm was not a direct consequence of any of their actions, was it? They were simply caught in a storm because they live in a sin sick, sin saturated world. And the same is true for us. We find ourselves caught in storms often because we live in the midst of a sin sick, sin-saturated world full of storms. You know, Jesus taught us about this truth in Luke chapter 13. In, in Luke chapter 13, some people had come to Jesus <coughs> to ask Him about the news stories of the day. You know, he, he want, they wanted to understand some people had been swept away by unexpected storms in life. And the questioners wanted to know if those people who were swept away were to blame for the storms that swept them away. And so in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, we read, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus says those Galileans who were swept away in the storm of injustice by the wicked Pilate, or the others who were swept away in the storm of tragedy when that tower fell, possibly due to the builder's greed or negligence, were those storms actually punishments directly attached to the sins of those people who died? Were those storms brought, the storms that they brought upon themselves because they were particularly sinful people? And Jesus' answer is no. Sometimes in this world, just like the sailors on Jonah's ship, we are caught in and we suffer the consequences of sin storms, not directly of our own making. Friends, sin storms are common in this world. We all suffer because we live in this sin-sick, sin-saturated world. Injustice, government corruption, corporate greed, racial tensions, war, famine, poverty. Sin always has a storm attached to it. And our world is filled with storms that while they may not be a direct result of our personal sin, nonetheless, we, like those sailors, like the Galileans unjustly slaughtered by Pilate, like the victims of the Tower of Siloam, we find ourselves caught in the sin storms of this world. There is a storm attached to sin, and every one of us daily suffers the consequences of sin. Sometimes it is our own personal sin that we're suffering the consequences of. Sometimes it's the consequence of others who have sinned against us. Sometimes it's corporate sin that manifests itself in unjust laws, policies, and systems. And we all directly or indirectly suffer the stormy consequences of a creation that has been broken and distorted by sin. Suffering is a universal consequence of human sin because sin has a storm attached to it. And Jesus teaches his hearers in Luke 13 that people suffer unjustly and tragically in this world. Not necessarily because they're worse sinners than you. Not necessarily because they're those kind of people. Not necessarily because they're getting what they deserve. People suffer unjustly and tragically because there's always a storm attached to sin. And we all get caught in the crosswinds of that suffering. People suffer unjustly and tragically because there is a storm attached to sin. But notice that Jesus takes what began as an abstract theological question there in Luke 13, and he makes it intensely personal. Because we love to deal with things in the abstract, don't we? When it doesn't actually touch us. But then he makes it personal. Because the abstract question is, why is there suffering in this world? And are those who suffer worse sinners than others? And twice Jesus responds with the same answer in verse 3 and verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, Jesus isn't saying, if you don't repent, God's going to have you slaughtered or drop a building on you. Jesus warns, there is a worse storm coming as a consequence of all of our sins. Yes, right now in life, we suffer storms, temporal consequences of a sin-sick, sin-saturated world. But one day, he warns, one day a terrible and a final storm of judgment is going to come upon all sin. The Apostle Paul warned in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul says there's going to be a storm of God's righteous wrath. It's the just consequence of all unrepented of sin. Yours, mine, ours, and theirs. It's coming. And these temporal consequences of sin are supposed to wake us up to the eternal consequences of sin. These temporal storms are supposed to warn us about a final, eternal storm that one day is going to rage. And Jesus says to his hearers, then and now. Are you ready for that storm? It's going to be worse than the storms you're facing now. It's worse than what Pilate did to those Galileans. It's worse than what those people at the Tower of Siloam suffered. It's worse than the storm that those sailors failed, that fared. This storm that's coming is a final storm of judgment, and are you ready for that? Jesus says, the storms in this world, the storms in this world remind us of the final storm that's coming. Because, friends, sin always has a consequence. It has a storm attached to it. And even if our immediate consequences are minimal, eventually that final storm of judgment is coming, and none of us are going to weather that one alone. And so he says, repent. Repent. And friends, this is the gospel, the good news. The good news that we find is that Jesus has come to weather the storm of judgment that is attached to our sin. He has come to stand in the storm, taking our place until the righteous wrath of the just storm of sin's punishment is spent. It's as we regularly sing together, till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was lain, here in the death of Christ I live. Friends, on the cross, Jesus weathered the final storm of judgment attached to all sin, so that while we might still today suffer the temporal consequences of sin in this life, if we repent and trust in Him, we will not suffer the eternal consequences of sin. Instead of storm, eternally we might have peace peace with God the Father. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And moreover, the good news is that God's mercy might be found in the temporal sin storms of our life. God's mercy might be found in the temporal storms of our life. God often uses the storms of this life to awaken us to the reality of our need, doesn't he? The author C.S. Lewis wrote, We can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. But he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Friends, the storms of life are often the tool that God uses to wake up a deaf and a sleeping world to its need. I mean, I could ask here, I mean, how many of you, you know, how many of you came to faith in Christ because the storm drove you towards God? A storm drove you to understand your own powerlessness, to understand your need. God's mercy is often found in the storms of life. In fact, just a few verses from now, we're going to find that in His mercy, God used this storm to awaken these sailors to their need and to the reality of God's existence. In fact, verse 6 is full of irony. The captain of the ship comes to the sleeping prophet and he says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, first, there's irony because the captain uses the same words that the Lord used to speak to Jonah in verse 2. In verse 2, the Lord spoke to Jonah and said, Arise, call out against Nineveh. In verse 6 here, Arise, call out to your God. Jonah didn't want to be a prophet to speak the Lord's words to the pagans. So the Lord uses a pagan to speak his words to the prophet. Isn't that like God? But even more ironic are the captain's words. Perhaps, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You know, the storm has actually come because God has given a thought to the pagans. But Jonah's disobeyed. The storm has come because the Lord has given a thought to the pagans and He does not desire to their destruction, but to warn them and sends a prophet to warn them of the coming judgment. The Lord has given a thought to them. And in fact, all of this storm and what's happening with Jonah is because the Lord has given a thought to them. In fact, the Lord has arguably allowed Jonah's disobedience and hurled the storm upon the water because he had given a thought to the life of the sailors on that ship that they may not perish. Think about it. If not for Jonah's disobedience, and if not for the storm that the Lord hurled upon these sailors, would these sailors have ever come to know the Lord? They came to know the Lord because of the storm. God's mercy to them was found in the storm. These sailors will meet the Lord as a result of weathering the storm. The storm is God's mercy to them, to rouse them from their deafness, to awaken them to their need, to warn them of a worse storm coming, to turn them in repentance. God's mercy is in the storm. And church, you disciples, you followers of Jesus Christ, remember that God's mercy to you is also still in the storm. Well God has promised us that those who are in Christ will not suffer the final storm of judgment that's attached to sin. He's never promised you or me that we will not suffer temporal storms and consequences attached to our sin, or as a result of living in this sin sick, sin saturated world. And Romans chapter eight bears this out beautifully. In Romans eight chapter in Romans chapter eight, verse one it begins triumphantly. It says, There is therefore now no Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says the final storm of judgment on sin, the final condemnation of sin, it's already been weathered by Jesus. And so now there's no condemnation for those in Christ. But yet now in life, don't we still suffer? And he talks about it in Romans eight eighteen, he talks about our present suffering. He says we're going to suffer temporal storms caused by our sin and by the sin and by the weather storms that come as a consequence of living in this sin broken world. Yet there's mercy in these temporal storms. There's mercy because God is redeeming our suffering. He's redeeming the consequences of our sin. He's redeeming our storms and using them for his purposes. And so Paul confidently proclaims at the end of Romans chapter eight and verse twenty eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Friends, God is using the temporal storms attached to living in this sin-sick world to accomplish his purposes in us and through us. You know, Pastor Tim Keller said it this way. Well, the Bible doesn't say that every difficulty is the result of sin. It does teach that for Christians, every difficulty can help reduce the power of sin in our hearts. Storms can wake us up to truths we'd otherwise never see. Storms can develop faith, hope, love, patience, humility, and self-control in us that nothing else can. God's using the temporal storms in our life to shape us and to mold us. We are safe from the final storm of judgment attached to sin because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. However, until that day, you and I weather the temporal storms attached to sin and God is redeeming those to accomplish His purposes in us and through us and to shape us evermore into the image of Jesus Christ. Friends, in the face of life's storms, we tend to ask all the wrong questions, though. You know, we tend to ask all the wrong questions. The question we should ask be asking is not, why did they or why am I suffering this storm? The question we should start asking is, what does this suffering mean? To what does this suffering point? The storm in this account, in the account of Jonah, was God's mercy. The storm in the account of Jonah was God's mercy calling those sailors to repent, to turn to Him, that they might avoid the even greater storm. That would have one day come upon sin and disobedience. The storm in this account was God's mercy by which God was calling Jonah to repentance. That Jonah might return so that God could accomplish his purposes in and through this wayward prophet. The storm was meant to shape and grow and direct Jonah. Friends, where is the mercy of God at work in the storms that you're facing today? Today. Where is the mercy of God at work in the storms that you will face tomorrow? What does your suffering mean? To what does your suffering point? And the most important question to be answered by these sailors and to be answered by Jonah in this question is, how will they respond to the severe mercy of God that comes to them in the midst of the storm. Friends, how will you respond today? And asking that, let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to respond to you. Thank you for the good news, the gospel that Jesus Christ has come and now there's no condemnation. The final storm has been spent upon Christ on the cross that we might be forgiven. But yet today, in this world, we still suffer the consequences of our own sin and the temporal consequences of living in a sin-broken world. And Father, as we weather those storms, I pray that you would show us your mercy in the midst of those storms, that you would use those storms to turn men, women, and children to yourself, that they might find faith and hope eternally in Jesus Christ, and that you might use the storms and the suffering of this life to shape us, to mold us, to prepare us, and to equip us. That we, might, like Jonah, might go. We're supposed to go, like Jonah, but like Jonah, we don't always. So, Lord, if you need to send a storm to turn us around, maybe it's dangerous to ask, but Lord, send that storm. Turn us towards you. Turn us towards what we should be doing. Turn us towards where we should be going. Shape us and fashion us by these storms. May we find in them your mercy. May we find in the midst of the storm your presence with us. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, please stand with me and let's close our service by singing of the God of the...